The following sermon is by Dr. Josh Scally, pastor of Emanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Please visit us at 2100 Noble Road in Raleigh or on the web at ebcraleigh.com. And now, here's Pastor Josh. Well, this morning is our last teaching, our last sermon from this incredible biblical book of Ephesians. Ephesians is such a jewel of the gospel. It begins in chapter 1 by the amazing grace of God in Christ from eternity past to eternity future. tells us more about that in chapter 2. Chapters 3 and 4, it shows the, the grace God carries out in the community of faith. And then in chapters 5 and the beginning of 6, it talks about how God's amazing grace in Christ impacts the most profound of our daily interactions in our husband and wife relationships, parent and children relationships, work relationships. And then last week we began with this conclusion with putting on the whole armor of God. But the very punctuation point of that call to action is prayer. And it really sticks out to me. Here's this book about God's amazing cosmic grace in Christ, but it ends telling us to pray for each other, to pray for each other. So this morning's sermon is titled Gospel Prayer. And if you're using the Pew Bible, if you haven't joined us yet, page 1163 is where we'll be, page 1163. We'll look at these closing verses of Ephesians where God tells us how we can pray specifically for one another. I think today's text breaks down very simply, and so here are the two big ideas that I think God is communicating to us here. Number one, pray for other Christians. Number two, pray for those declaring Christ. So pray for other Christians, and then pray for those declaring Christ. And in both cases, he'll answer why and how. Why should we pray for other Christians, and how? Why should we pray for those declaring Christ, and how? So with that in mind, we look in verse 18. So look in verse 18, please, of Ephesians chapter 6. We'll read it and then explain how God speaks to us here. Verse 18, praying at, notice the word all, we'll see it four times, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. The compoundment of all is showing what an urgent priority it is that we are praying for other Christians. Why is it such an urgent priority? And that's why I asked our brother to read verses 10 into today's text. Why is it such a priority? If you were here a couple of Sundays ago, you know, because we are in a war against an enemy that we cannot defeat, but victory is assured only in Jesus Christ, who is the armor of God that we put on. So why is it so urgent that we are praying for one another? Well, because all of the verbs are in the plural. This is not something done individually, but something done corporately as the community of believers beseeches the Lord on one another's behalf, constantly praying for one another. We need each other to pray. That is how we practically depend on Christ as a community of faith. In fact, the verses we're honing in on today, 18, 19, and 20, just really three we're putting the microscope out on today, they're grammatically finishing what was said in verses 10 through 17. The verse, stand firm, is now being unpacked by the clause, praying at all times. So how we stand firm is incumbent upon us praying with and for one another. One author put it this way, the prayer is not a seventh piece of armor, 
He's right. It's not, a, it's not an additional piece of armor, but it is the associated means through which we wear the armor. So when you were thinking of the armor and you were thinking of a shield, now you need to think of it as shields that are interlocking together. When you thought of someone standing, think of people standing with arms interwoven. When you think of someone falling, think of the person next to them being used to help them restand. That happens as we pray with and for one another. In fact, it might practically sound like this in your prayer life. Lord, you know what's going on with her or him. And from what I know, I ask God that you would please pick them up and re-put them on solid footing. Help them, Lord, to humbly put on the whole armor of God. And God works through such prayers so that the person falling next to you is re-cemented on the solid rock of Christ. So why do we need to pray for each other? Because as a community, that is how we stand firm. But also, we pray for one another because God actually works through prayer. My point is this. Prayer is not merely a way that we do something so that we feel better, though it does help us feel better. But it's not therapeutic in its purpose. It's powerful. I'll try to illustrate it this way. When I was in fourth grade, I had an extremely smart teacher who did not want to hear complaints from her students. (laughs) And so what she did on the wall, she had a full-size cutout of the Mad Hatter from Alice in Wonderland. I don't know why she chose that particular person. But she told all the students, if you have a complaint, go and whisper it to the Mad Hatter, and he'll do something about it. (laughs) Right? So that's what we did as students. We did that. So I now know as an adult, so she didn't have to hear us. (laughs) But what I think she was trying to do was help us just feel better internally. That is not how the Bible talks about prayer. In chapter 3 of this very letter, Paul breaks out in prayer for other believers. And he says this in verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father... For you, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Paul is praying with confidence that God the Spirit actually does empower other believers when we pray. In fact, Paul believes that God does even more than Paul would know to ask. Because in verse 20 he says, Now to him who is able to do above and beyond what we ask or think, to him be glory in the church. So this morning, I want to remind you, when we pray for one another, pray in faith. James 1 verse 6, talking about prayer, says, Let him ask in faith without doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave tossed to and fro, unstable. Hebrews 11 verse 6 says, Without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who would please him must believe that he is and that he rewards him who diligently seeks him. So here's my question for you this morning. Do you believe that God works through prayer? Do you believe that as you pray truth, that God actually does things through it? That is why we pray for one another. So then how do we pray? And now verse 18, if you look at it, we'll go more slowly to see how we pray. And here's the first way we pray. It's the first half of verse 18. We pray In the Spirit. So verse 18, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. 
The word supplication means to intercede on someone else's behalf. And that's the kind of prayer that this whole section is about. It's not just prayer generally, but it's prayer intercessorily. Prayer for one another. But key here, he says to pray at all times, in every occasion, in the Spirit. So what does it mean to pray in the Spirit? And I think Ephesians actually gives us two answers. How do we pray in the Spirit? First, we pray in the power of the Spirit. That's what I alluded to in chapter 3, verse 16. We pray that the Spirit will strengthen us, empower us, move within us. We pray the power of the Spirit. But secondly, we pray in line with what the Spirit has revealed. Look, look in the passage right in front of you. So here we have Ephesians 6 saying to pray at all times in the Spirit. But look up just one verse to verse 17. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Thus, I would expect that if I'm going to pray in the Spirit, then I pray in line with what the Spirit has revealed, the Word of God. So praying in the Spirit is the power of the Spirit, but it's also in accord with the truth revealed by the Spirit. Understanding this is very helpful because the Bible uses this phrase, and pneumati in Greek, in or by the Spirit in English, in many different places. So our whole life is this dynamic of the power of the Spirit in Christ and alignment with the truth of the Spirit. Think of Galatians 5.16. Walk in the Spirit. How? Both ways. The power in line with the truth. Romans 8.13. Put to death the deeds of the body in the Spirit. How? Both ways. The power of the Spirit in accord with the truth revealed by the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12.3, confess Jesus as Lord in the Spirit. Philippians 3.3, worship in the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 14.16, give thanks in the Spirit. Galatians 6.1, restore one another in the Spirit. All these phrases mean the same thing. The power of the Spirit in accord with the truth revealed by the Spirit, which means that our entire life is dependence on the Spirit. Uh, Let me encourage you. Because if you read the text and it says, pray at all times in the Spirit with all prayer, you might be discouraged to think, man, I just, I don't know if I can do that enough. In fact, if we unhelpfully compare ourselves against other Christians, we could leave discouraged. I've really enjoyed reading about the life of Martin Luther. And there's a Martin Luther quote on prayer that if we're not careful, could be very discouraging. Here's the quote. Martin Luther wrote, I have so many things to do today, I shall spend the first three hours in prayer. And you hear that and you think, I'm a bum. <laughs> how, do I, how do I relate to that, right? But we should recall that God actually does not want us to unhelpfully compare ourselves with other Christians. I love the way John 21 ends. Jesus tells Peter, how Peter is going to die. And then Peter says to Jesus, well, how is John going to die? (laughs) And Jesus tells Peter, what is that to you? You follow me. What a good word that is to all Christians. Jesus' word to you is, you just worry about you following Jesus. That's, That's his word to us. But here's my encouragement to you based on the passage in front of us. Who will give you the prompting to pray when you ought? The answer is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will work powerfully so that you call out to the Lord. The scriptures say this. Romans 8.26, the Spirit himself intercedes for us. Romans 8.15-16, through 16, the Spirit himself bears witness in our hearts so that we cry out, 
Abba, Father. Who made us pray? The Spirit of God did. So you don't have to worry if you feel like, man, I don't know if I can do this. God the Spirit will give you the power and the prompting to do it. And how do we open ourselves up to such power? We humbly ask for it. We humbly create space for it. Independency, we recognize our need. In the airport recently, I read one of those airport articles that has all this interesting information. One of the ones I read was about the rise of mentors in the workplace. The idea was that many young professionals want to get farther along, and so they find someone a little further along than them who will mentor them and guide them and and help them advance in the skills that they're picking in their career. But imagine a dependence like that on the Holy Spirit. God, I I want you to grow me. I I want to learn, and I, I need to learn how to pray. Will you help me be sensitive to your prompting and moving? Will you empower me in line with your truth so that I can pray well? Let me give you some practical ideas for this. Have a rhythm in your life that you protect so that the Spirit can move in it. Whether it's your morning time, your evening time, your car ride, your walk to whatever you need to get to, something stapled on your office cubicle, a a scripture to prompt you at key times. Have a, a space carved within which the Spirit can empower and prompt and move. And at the beginning of it, say, Lord, in, in these five, in these ten minutes that I have, will you please prompt me and encourage me and empower me to pray truth well for the people I'm about to pray for? I had a mentor when I was starting out as a pastor, and he said to me, Josh, what I do to pray for people in the church, because that's really primary for a pastor to do, is I sit in the pew where they normally sit, and then I pray for them. So I did that practice for years, and what I found since coming here uh, in Michigan, if I sat in a pew, they sat in the same place every every time. Coming here, y'all move on me. And it's been a little more challenging. I finally figured out why. Uh, Steve, the pastor who preceded me, who's a wonderful guy, uh, I, he explained that he had wisely counseled many of you to move about every month or so, so you sit near new people, which is great. It's harder to pray for you, but that is a really good thing. It's funny. I think Baptists in the North must be much more stodgy, because if you visit a church in the North and they're at the end of their pew, they say, I'm so glad to see you this morning. And then they look behind you and say, You're not going to sit here, though, are you? Because this is my seat, you know, it's very much the case. Uh, So how do we pray for one another? We, We create space, but I share that story to say, even having a rhythm, a good rhythm, like praying in the pew, it's actually good that you move because then it creates the opportunity for organic, unexpected prompting. So whatever normal rhythm you have, also leave space for the Holy Spirit to prompt, to move, to press to, to work in your heart. How do we pray for one another? Now the end of verse 18. So look at the end of verse 18 with me to that end. And he, these two words talk about how we pray. Keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Keep alert is the same phrase, watch or stay awake. It's the phrase that Jesus used with his Final three, the night before he was betrayed. With all perseverance is a word that means persistence or patience or devotion. So here's a word I want to give you from the Bible this morning. To keep alert, to stay awake, and to persevere 
means that if you are praying in accord with God's Spirit, empowered by Him, in accord with what He's revealed, you should persist in them. Perhaps this morning you're thinking, Lord, the Lord knows that I have prayed for this person, and I've prayed a good thing for them for years, and I've seen nothing. I've prayed for them to be saved. I've prayed for them to repent. I've prayed for them to return to the Lord. I've prayed for them to gather with God's people, and I've seen nothing year after year after year. And let me tell you on the basis of Scripture this morning, don't quit. Don't quit praying. Persevere. God works powerfully through persevering prayer. Think of why Jesus told all these parables about someone who persisted in prayer. In Luke 18, Jesus told us why. He told all these parables. He said, I have taught these so they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Jesus has told us, keep praying. If what you're praying is prompted by the Spirit and in accord with his truth, don't stop praying. Romans 12, 12 says, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. What we read today from Colossians 4 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer. And let me remind you just because you don't see an effect to your prayers does not mean that God is not currently accomplishing one. Haven't you ever received a message from someone who said, it said something like this I don't know why, I just thought the Lord put you on my heart today and I just wanted to pray for you. And then you look at the timestamp of when you got that text and what was going on in your life at that moment. And then you look for hidden cameras in your house because you're like, how did they know exactly what I was going through when they said they were praying? You see, you may not know all that God is doing, so don't quit. So number one, pray for other Christians and persevere in it. But now number two, Pray for those who declare Christ. And this is now verses 19 through 20. Look with me in verse 19. We'll read it, then we'll come back on it more slowly. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I'm an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Why is prayer required for the declaration of Christ? And here's the first answer. Prayer is required because God is required. And I want to press why this is the case. Ephesians 2, you don't have to turn there if you don't want, but in Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, Paul says that all of us, before we came to Christ, were dead in the trespasses of our sins, following the prince of the power of the air, unresponsive, Why must we pray for the declaration of Christ? Because apart from God, there is no hope. There is none. There's no responsiveness. There's no receptivity. There is no salvation. We must pray because God is required for the declaration of Christ. There's a further reason reason we must pray. And Ephesians 5, verses 5 through 6, states it for us. We must pray because those who do not come to Christ will eternally be separated from his kingdom. Ephesians 5 says, there is no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God for those who reject him morally. Verse 6, let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. I know what I just read in the Bible. It's extremely unpopular 
and hard to hear, but it is urgently important that I read the Bible to you. You see, there is sin, and sin is a real thing, and it separates us from God eternally. There is salvation, salvation only through the Savior Jesus, and literally nothing is more important than coming to put your faith in Christ. And he is the only way, only Jesus has come down from heaven, perfectly lived righteously, taken our place on the cross, borne all our sin, risen over death, and offered his life as a way to have God. There is no other way, and there's no more urgent message. Now, this last week, I was reminded of that because I flew back to Michigan for my nephew's wedding. The week overall was a great win. Uh, I got in the car. My car said 100 degrees in Raleigh. I got in my dad's car when I landed. It said 55 degrees. <laughs> it was amazing. The wedding went off without a hitch. I'm glad for my nephew. Even more importantly, the Lions won their first game of the season. It was it's a great week all the way around. But what I'm about to say, I do have to say carefully because I know I'm being recorded and I know some of my family watches my sermons, but it is so heavy on my heart that I have to share it. One of my cousins who I love, always looked up to him my whole life, he would tell you he's a Christian. He'd be adamant that he is a Christian. He has two daughters. They are both teenagers. And just a couple of years ago, um, our family was going to celebrate Easter up in up north. And one of the daughters said, what is Easter? And, and one of my aunts explained, well, Easter is a time that we remember that Jesus Christ conquered sin and he rose from the dead. And his daughter said, who is Jesus? And I cannot imagine anything worse than my children not knowing who Jesus is and me at the same time claiming that I'm a Christian. So please hear me this morning. Something is drastically wrong if we are more concerned about our children's second quarter report card than their eternal soul. Nothing matters more than putting your faith in Jesus Christ. Nothing. And nothing is more urgently important. We must pray because eternity is at stake for those to whom we are praying. All right, now verse 19. We must pray because the gospel must be spoken. The gospel must be spoken. Verse 19, and pray also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly. Think of who is asking for prayer here. The Apostle Paul, planner of churches, survivor of stoning, man shipwrecked, man met by Jesus Christ himself and commissioned to the Gentiles, man who has courageously shared the gospel everywhere, says, I need you to pray for me that I will share the gospel. He goes further and says, I need to pray. I need you to pray that I will have the right words to share the gospel. If the apostle Paul needs courage, I don't know where I am on that same continuum, but I'm not where he is. And he recognizes that he needs God's grace. Let us all be humble enough to admit our weakness and our fears when we have someone we need to share Christ with so that we can ask for prayer so that God can give us the grace to do it. He will give us the remedy to overcome our fear. 
The phrase that words may be given in Greek is a passive verb, meaning Paul is saying, I need God to give what I do not have germane to me. I need God to provide what I don't have intrinsically. D.A. Carson writes, Paul even was well aware of the need for the right words because we all find it easy to skew the gospel, to trim it a little, to get around the bits we think our hearers will find awkward or offensive. So Paul knew that to preach the gospel faithfully, he would have to preach it fearlessly. This does not mean a combative in your face style, but it does mean you share the whole truth. And see, we always need God's grace to do that. We need God's grace because we don't naturally lean towards sharing the whole truth to those who will perish without it. But not only do we need grace as speakers, we need to pray that the hearers need grace as listeners. Because not only does Paul say in verse 19, pray for me that words would be given to me, but then notice the next phrase, pray that I would open my mouth boldly. You might be thinking, Josh, that's still talking about the speaker. Well, it, it is in part, but if you have a conversation coming up and you say, man, I'm really concerned about this conversation, what you mean is you're concerned how the listener will react to it. You mean you're afraid that the listener won't really want to hear what needs to be said, which means that the hearer needs ears to hear. You're praying that the hearer will put down their hostility and instead have humility to share to receive truth. Why would anyone be hostile to good news? Verse 19. Words given me to open my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. The word gospel means good news. Doesn't everybody love this good news? Look at verse 20. For which I am an ambassador in chains. Now, there's never been a time where everybody has always loved this news. It can be so dangerous for us to think, I live in this unique period of history that no one can relate to, where people don't want to hear the gospel. People have never easily wanted to hear the gospel. That's how it is. The gospel exposes something that makes us angry. It exposes our need. But that need is exactly the good news we need to hear so that we can receive the remedy But let me remind you, brother, sister, Christian, yes, in our country, at our spot, in the space and time, spec continuum, we still need to pray for courage. You say there's freedom of speech. There's tolerance. Yes, but if we're honest, if we share the biblical truth, it's not always received well. Paul encourages me so much because his very last letter is 2 Timothy 4. And in 2 Timothy 4, he's writing to Timothy, a a younger minister, and he tells him this. He says, Alexander the coppersmith did me a lot of evil. Beware of him. He strongly opposed our message. That's not where the letter ends. He then says, though no one came to my first defense, the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be more fully proclaimed. See, Paul is saying, yes, some oppose, but God gives strength to continue to share the truth, and he yields the fruit. So verse 19 and verse 20 tell us that we must pray for courage for one another. But ultimately, I don't want to miss what we're praying for. And let me show you the two words, verse 19 and verse 20. 
Look at the word proclaim in verse 19 and the word declare in verse 20. Both of those words indicate that we must not just have lives, but we also must have lips that speak the gospel particulars. That's why the gospel is called a mystery. It cannot be known unless it is spoken. There's a quote sometimes attributed to Francis of Assisi, and Satan has used it to silence many Christians. Here's the quote. Preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. My favorite takedown of that was by Dr. Albert Muller when he said, that's like saying, feed the hungry at all times, and if necessary, use food. (laughs) But I think the scriptures make it even clearer. Romans 10, verse 17. So faith comes through hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. 1 Corinthians 1, 23 through 25. We preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews, folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Brother and sister, don't be afraid to speak. I know that can be challenging and frightening, but the words are what save. The words are what rescue. How should we pray for those declaring the gospel, we pray for courage, even if they're in chains. So verse 20, for which I am an ambassador in chains. The word ambassador was used in this day of a Roman legate who would represent a senator who was traveling. So you would be this important person on behalf of this even more important person. But here, the important person is in chains, And Paul, though in chains, is asking for greater boldness. He's not asking for release. This week on Wednesday, we continued praying for missionaries who were sent out from North Carolina. And for the last several months on Wednesday, we hand out sheets at the table. And we pray for North Carolina missionaries who are now all over the world. And the table I was at this week, the name I had was Gina Smith. And here was her prayer request. I was born and raised in Jacksonville, North Carolina. I graduated from UNC Pembroke, and I've lived as a missionary in an undisclosed part of Central Asia for 16 years, and God has taught me so much. And then here's her request. Please pray that I will continue to trust God even when it is hard. That is exactly like what Paul is praying here. Though I'm in chains, pray that I will have the courage and boldness not natural to me. But now the verses we haven't read yet are the closing ones on your copy of God's Word. Verses 21 through 24 show the encouragement that the letter concludes with. And I want you to notice that the encouragement comes from the community of faith. Verse 21, so that you may also know how I am and what I am doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are. Knowing how he's doing is vital for us to know how we live and how we can live well and live courageously. But notice Paul is now expecting that to encourage them. So the end of verse 20, that he may encourage your hearts. 
Paul wrote elsewhere in 2 Timothy 2, verse 9, though I am bound, the word of God is not bound. I think a similar message is being made here. And now verse 23 and 24, peace to the brothers with love and faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Warren Wearsby commented on this verse, what an encouragement it is to be part of the family of God. Nowhere in the New Testament do we find an isolated believer. Christians flock together as sheep. Paul closes the words with peace, love, faith, and grace. He was a prisoner of Rome, yet he was richer than the emperor. So now three responses for us this morning. Three responses for how God's word can make an impact in our lives this week. First and most obvious, pray. Pray for one another. Prayer is powerful because it accesses an all-powerful God. A.C. Dixon said it this way, when we depend on organizations, we get what organizations can do. When we depend on education, we get what education can do. When we depend on man, we get what man can do. But when we depend on prayer, we get what God can do. Pray. Secondly, be an ambassador. God chose us as his ambassadors. If you're representing someone that you think of as important, you feel important. We're representing the most important person there is. And God, in his grace, works through us in that representation. Caleb, who preached so well last Sunday, concluded with 2 Corinthians 5, a text that was on my heart as well. You're familiar with it, as our brother read it. It talks about how God has made us his ambassadors. Here's what it says in verse 18. All of this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. Why is this such good news? Because the message that God has made us ambassadors of is the best good news there is. And that's the following verse, verse 21. God, the Father, made him, God the Son, Christ, to be sin for us, even though Christ knew no sin, so that we might be made the righteousness of God through faith in him. This text has told us that Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, so that is why the book can end. It's talked about God's love for us, God's love in us, but now for the very first time in the letter, verse 24 ends, by describing our love for him. We love him because he first loved us, and this incorruptible bond binds us with a love beyond the circles of this world. So let's go to him now in prayer together. God, I thank you, Lord, for a love that starts from you, is empowered by you, and lasts forever with you. A love of a selfless Savior who gave himself for us as a sacrifice acceptable to God, taking our place, bearing the righteous wrath that we deserve because of our choice to proudly and selfishly push away our Creator and King. And yet that King came and wore a crown of thorns and died on a bloody cross, but rose to give life. So, Lord, I pray for any 
I think of some of my family members even this morning, but I pray for any here and those around us. May they hear and respond to the word of Christ. May it be spoken. May it be heard. I also pray, Lord, for the power of the Holy Spirit on us. May he empower us to speak boldly as we ought. May he also empower us to pray for one another, to pray for us to put on the whole armor of God, to pray for fellow Christians, to watch as God works through prayer, even sometimes imperceptibly, but always powerfully for his good purposes. And Lord, also I pray for that Christian today who feels like, I don't know if I can continue. Lord, help them to be encouraged to not quit, but to trust that you are working above and beyond what we could ask or think. In Christ we pray. Amen. You've been listening to Josh Scally, pastor of Emanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. For more information and free access to other messages, go to ebcraleigh.com. That's ebcraleigh.com.